Okay, so we have to uh, continue getting ready for Yontif. So I'll be honest with you, the, I came up with a title for tonight before I prepared this year, so I'm not sure if we're going to answer the question of the title. I think the title was, what are we davening for in Rosh Hashanah? So <laughs> I'm not sure. We're going we're gonna to try to figure it out. But uh, we're definitely going to talk about Rosh Hashanah. So that, that for sure. All right, so what I, 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 w- I would like to try to answer that question. There's a million and a half things that we all need to daven for, that we all want for this coming year. So, and, and very often it's, uh, it's a little bit impossible to go through that list. Just impossible. You're invariably gonna skip something, leave something out. So, I, I think what's important is, is, is to sort of understand a certain framework and a mindset that a person has to be in entering into Rosh Hashanah and entering into davening in Rosh Hashanah. And then in that mindset, from that framework, you'll be able to figure out exactly what it is, the details that you should have in for. That's what I want to speak about, just a certain mindset that I think is important for Rosh Hashanah. You know, whenever it's a Yantif, I try to go into the Yantif really like pressing delete on everything I knew or assumed about the Yantif and try to figure out like what's, what's Rosh Hashanah this year, what's our Avayda this year. So I'm still trying to figure it out a little bit. So this is just a, you know, a certain thought that I was mulling over today and yesterday and so on, what's the Avayda Rosh Hashanah? So let's begin like this. It's going to start with a, more of a, a, you know, a theoretical idea, but we'll see how it, how it comes down to, to the world and uh, becomes practical. It's okay. So it's like this. That's what happens. All right. So it's like this. Question number one. Go through a few questions, and then we'll, we'll see where it takes us. Question number one. We know that you have to make Kiddush Rosh Hashanah night. So there's an interesting Lushan, there's a sentence that we say in Kiddush Rosh Hashanah night, which is a sentence that we say on Shabbos, and it's a sentence we say every Yantif by Kiddush. But the fact that we say it in Rosh Hashanah is a little bit peculiar. We say that in the Nusach of Kiddush, we say that the Rabbana Shalom Asher Bochum and the Kolamim, that Hashem chose us, and He gave us this Yantif of Rosh Hashanah, and so on. Zeicher Litzias Mitzrayim. That Rosh Hashanah is a yontif commemorating the exodus of Egypt, Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. So that's a pal. What does Rosh Hashanah have anything with Yitzhiz Mitzrayim? On Pesach, he says, Zechot Mitzrayim, we understand. Even Shavuos, even Sukkot, those are holidays commemorating events that took place, at least because of Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. So we left Mitzrayim, and now we're in the Midbar, we get the Torah. We're in the Midbar now, we have a Nani HaKavit. Okay. But what in the world does Rosh Hashanah have to do with Yitzhiz Mitzrayim? Rosh Hashanah is commemorating an event that took place way before Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. So how is Rosh Hashanah Zeich Yitzhiz Mitzrayim? That's question number one. Question number two. It's well known, there's a statement from the tour in Shulchan Aruch, that the tour famously says that even though we know that on Rosh Hashanah there's a din, there's a judgment, what's going to be, like the Gemara says, Sefer Chaim, Sefer Mason, that there's books of life, books of death, and no one knows what the outcome is going to be. As Hashem, we should all be written in the book of life, like Tzaddik and Gemurim, but no one knows. And because of that concern, even in Halacha, we understand that we don't say Hal on Rosh Hashanah because there is a heaviness to the day. But the tour writes that nevertheless, despite the fact that there is that judgment hanging over us, the Jewish people, nevertheless, we get haircuts, and we prepare ourselves for Yontif, and we wear nice clothing, and we have Sudas. Why? Says the tour, because on the Betuchen, because we're confident, the Rabbanu will perform miracles for us. In other words, even if we don't deserve it, we're confident the Rabbanu will make a miracle and he'll give us a good year. And because of that confidence, 
we, we, we make yontif. So here's the problem. That statement of we're confident that the Rebbe will make miracles for us is a paradox. If it's in fact a miracle, then how could you be confident that it's going to happen? The definition of a miracle is something that's out of the ordinary, that's not natural. Things that are natural, you can set your clock to it. You know, you know what's going to happen. I throw, a rock, I throw a ball up, it's natural, it's going to fall down. I'm confident it's going to fall down. But a miracle, by its very definition, is something that you can't be confident in. If you could be confident in it, then guess what? If it happens every single year, then that's not a miracle anymore. That's just nature. No, there's, there's, there's physical rules of nature and there's spiritual rules of nature. If something happens consistently, constantly, and it's something that you could be confident always happening, then that's not a miracle anymore. That's called, na- that's called nature. So maybe there's a natural phenomenon in the higher world that the Jewish people get away with whatever it is and we have a good year. That's not called the nace. To say that we're confident that the Rebbe will make a miracle doesn't make any sense. Again, if it's something that happens all the time, then it's not a miracle anymore. And if it doesn't happen all the time, then why are you confident? So that statement is a pillow. What exactly does that mean? Okay. So let's try to identify what exactly is the Avoid of Rosh Hashanah. If we had to pick one thing, because you know, there's a million things to work on, but what's the one thing that, that sort of is the essence of Avoid of Rosh Hashanah? So obviously the first thing that comes to mind is Hashem being the Melech. Coronating Hashem as the king. But deeper than that. Or what type of, uh, what type of uh, mindset does a person have to be in even to enter into that avoidah that's called making Hashem melech? So we find in this from the following thing. It's a little bit counterintuitive. We might not think of it. When we think of Rosh Hashanah, we don't necessarily associate it with this. But in the storm we find that one of the ikra avoidahs of Rosh Hashanah is the inyan of amuna, of faith. Amunah is very deeply connected to Rosh Hashanah. And in a certain sense, in order for a person to enter into Rosh Hashanah, there's a certain inyan in Amunah that a person has to work on. Now, how do I know what's, the, what's this connection between Amunah and, and Rosh Hashanah? So first of all, there's a Pasuk that sort of hints to it. It says in Pasuk, Tashuri Meraish Amana. It says in Pasuk that Tashuri Meraish Amana means, the way Chazal interpreted it, it means that a person, a Jewish person always has to gaze, a person has to look in life, Tashuri means to gaze, to gaze towards Amunah. Amunah always has to be your, your North Star. The word Tashuri comes from the word Tishrei. So Tashuri Merosh Amunah, the Svarim Tashim Taish means Tishrei Merosh Amunah. That the void of Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah, is Amunah. It says in Pasuk, Tzadik Vamunasa Yechia, that a Tzadik lives with his faith. All we're davening for in Rosh Hashanah is Chaim, right? to be alive. And Tzadik Vamunasa Yechia, it says life comes from faith. So if a person wants Chaim on Rosh Hashanah, basically what you're davening for is Emunah. <clears throat> There's a Medrash in, um, Medrash in Shmois, Parsha Shmois. The Medrash comments on the fact that the first one of the Ten Commandments is Anoich Hashem So the Medrash says, like this, the Medrash says that it's well known that the Sheet of the Rambam, for example, and uh, not the, the, the Ramban, other Rishonim, is that the Pasuk of Anoichi, that first utterance, that's for Dibor, that first statement, that first command of Anoichi Shemalkecha, that's Amunah. That's the mitzvah of faith, the mitzvah of believing. So the Medrash comments on why is that the first mitzvah set? Why is that the first mitzvah of the Ten Commandments to believe in Hashem? So the Medrash says the following Marshal. The Medrash says that there was once a king, and he comes into uh, a new country, 
and the country, the citizens are very excited about this new king, and they come to the king and they say, Adineinu HaMelech, our master the king, tell us, tell us your commandments, tell us what you want us to do, and we'll do them. So the measure says that the king responds to the people and he says, listen, before I tell you my gzairis, before I tell you my decrees and all the mitzvahs and all the commandments that you have to do, first be makabal my malchus. First believe in me, first accept my malchus. You accept my malchus, then we can talk about specific mitzvahs. So too says the Medrash, the Rabbanu Shalom did the same thing. Rabbanu Shalom shows up by our Sinai and the Jewish people are very excited. Rabbanu Shalom, you are, what, what do you want us to do? Job is conscious, tell us. Rabbanu Shalom, oh, one second. First, be makabal my malchus. You accept my malchus, then we'll start talking about individual mitzvahs. What does it mean to accept my malchus? That's the meaning of why the first deeper is, Anoich Yeshem Alekech. So you see what the Medrash is doing over there. The Medrash is equating accepting Hashem as king, which is, which is Rosh Hashanah, with that Pasuk of Anoich Yeshem Alekecha, which is a Pasuk of Amuna. So what the Medrash is, 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 is defining for us is something new. That what does it mean to accept Hashem as Melech? Whatever that means to accept Hashem as Melech, it means that Pasuk to believe in Anoich Yeshem Alekecha, Asher Tzisich Meres Mitzrayim. That's what that Pasuk means. So to define, so now we're getting a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a more honed-in definition of our Avoid on Rosh Hashanah. Our Avoid of Rosh Hashanah is to proclaim Hashem as Melech, and our Avoid of Rosh Hashanah is somehow to do with Amunah. But now we're seeing that, that according to this Medrash, this Pasuk of Anoich Hashem Alekecha, Asher Tzisich Meres Mitzrayim, that Pasuk is the Pasuk of Amunah, and that's the Pasuk of what it means to make Hashem your king. So that's Rosh Hashanah. Roshan is going to be summed up with that Pasuk of Anoich Hashem Alekech Asher Tzitzich Ameris Mitzrayim. Now, by the way, that Pasuk mentions Tzitzich Mitzrayim. Right? I started with a question, why is it the Kiddush Friday night, uh, Rosh night, mentions Zecher Tzitzich Mitzrayim? We don't have the answer yet, but we do see that according to Chazal, that the Indian of accepting Hashem as our king, and Chazal are defining that as what does it mean to accept Hashem as your king? It means to have a Muna. But the Muna specifically, as it's within the context of that Pasuk of Anoche Yeshem Alekecha, Asher Tzisich Ameris Mitzrayim. So we have to redefine for ourselves what Emunah in particular, because there's many things we have to believe in. Emunah Sisrael is a large, is a large topic, all the things that we have to believe in. But what specific aspect of Emunah is being addressed by that particular Pasuk of Anoche Yeshem Alekecha? And again, whatever level of Muna that Pasuk is specifically targeting, that's Rosh Hashanah. That's what it means to accept Hashem as our king. That's Rosh Hashanah. And somehow that's going to have to do with Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. So let's try to identify what that Nekud is. Okay. Fine. Now we have an idea from that Rizal. Okay, we're going to tie it together very soon. The Rizal revealed to us that we know that, you know, I'll ask another question first. We'll, we'll introduce it like this. We know that in Rosh Hashanah, we describe Rosh Hashanah as one of the, one of the things that we say in Davening is Ayoyim Haras Oilam. Rosh Hashanah is the day of the creation of the world. Rosh Hashanah is the creation of the world. Is that really true? So not really. Rosh Hashanah is not the first day of creation. First day of creation is Chafael, which was today, right? It's today, Chafael. So that was the first day of creation. What's Aleph Tishrei? Aleph Tishrei was the sixth day of creation. That's when Adam and Chava were created. So the question is, why is Rosh Hashanah... So maybe you want to tell me that, that that's the most significant day of creation because that's when the crowning jewel of creation of the human being was, was made. Okay, I understand. 
But to describe that day as Hayyim Haris Oilam, that this is a day of creation, that's clearly not true. So the, so the question is, if Rosh Hashanah is in fact not the day of creation, it's the sixth day of creation, it's when Adam and Chava came to the world, why? So again, it might be the most chash of the, you know, the last piece and the most chash of the piece of creation, but why, was, why is Rosh Hashanah being described as a Yom Haras Island? Okay, so those are the questions. You're not going to have to remember them. All right, so it's like this. The Rizal taught the following idea. The Rizal said that you want to know what we're doing on Rosh Hashanah and what we're really, Rosh Hashanah, Aseris Mechuva, Yom Kippur, Sukkis, Hashanah Rabbah, Simchas Torah, the whole Yontif season. Really what we're doing, that entire Tkufa, is one thing, and it's not a small thing, but what we're doing is correcting and fixing the chait of Adam and Chava. Right? We all know that that's where things started and that's where things uh, took a turn. Shem Baruch Hashem creates Adam and Chava in that Friday in Rosh Hashanah and he tells them one thing, don't eat from Yitzhadah's Just have the Yitzhachayim, don't eat the Yitzhadah's And they make that mistake, they eat from the Yitzhadah's and the rest is history. Our avoid on Rosh Hashanah and really the entire Yontif season is to misak in that chait. Okay, so... so it, so what we're going to do now for the next few minutes is to try to identify what was the essence of that chayt on some level, for, our, for people like us, what was the essence of that chayt, and, and how is it that what we're doing on Rosh Hashanah, which is again, like I said, somehow that's fixing that chayt. We're beginning the process of healing from that chayt to the Yitzhah So here's the Nakuda. Here's the Nakuda. In the storm, we find the following idea. You know, everyone has the Eight Sahara. Everyone has a Nyan that, that, we, that we struggle with and so on. But the Eight Sahara doesn't start. The Eight Sahara doesn't, doesn't uh, first appear in a, in a person's life in a very ugly and, uh, you know, anti-religious way. Everything starts in a very subtle place. And very often, when you can retrace the root of what in the outside, what, 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 what you first see is like this huge inion of the Yetzar, this huge problem that you have in your Ruchnius, in your Avaidah, sometimes that's very, very difficult to tackle. But when you retrace the steps back all the way, all the way, all the way to its very, very origin point, that origin point usually is very, very subtle. And sometimes it's actually easier to deal with that origin point than already when it gets to become this huge monster. So... When you have, uh, so the HRs that we deal with, at, at, by the time we recognize them, they're already big monsters. But when it came to that moment of Adam and Chav and Gan Eden, it was still very, very subtle. And our Avayt and Rosh Hashanah, we have to identify what was the subtle origin of, of evil itself, of the HR itself. And we'll see that our Avayt and Rosh Hashanah is really to tackle that. Really to try to, to try to correct that subtle mistake in the very origin. And by doing that, we bypass all of the difficulties dealing with the monster head-on. So what's the subtle issue? What's the subtle mistake or the subtle perspective that the Eitzara has in its origin point that from there emerges all sorts of monsters? So here's the, here's the issue. The Nikud is like this. Everyone knows that for something to exist, the Rabbani Shalom has to want it to exist. Right? This is the theoretical part of the share, then we'll get to practical, just for a few minutes. Everyone knows that in order for something to exist, the Rabbani Shalom has to will it. The Rabbani Shalom has to want it. Now, the idea of wanting something, by the Rabbani Shalom, the word Ratzim, right? Ratzim means to want, right? 
we're davening that you know everything should be an ace rutzen. What does it mean rutzen? What does it mean to want something? So in the svarim we find there's two different levels of rutzen. There's something that's called chitzonius harutzen, and there's something that's called pnimius harutzen. See, rutzen will, by its nature, by its essence, this is something I've spoken about other times, rutzen means you. Rutzen means you. When you want something, like the eyes light up, right? So when you're, when you're engaged in something you're not so interested in, and you're not so interested in, it means that you're not really so involved and so invested and so engaged. Right? If, you can, if you can check like on a, on a machine whether you're intent, you know, let's say with the, you know, like telling your brain whether your brain is really like invested in something. If you're dealing with something that you have to do, like you have no choice, you have to be involved in it, but you're not, you don't really, you, so on some level, let's say you go to work, right? Or whatever it is. So obviously, if you're getting in your car going to work or you're sitting down and dealing with something, obviously on some level, there's a part of you that wants to do it. But when you're doing something that you have to do, because you sort of, you know, obviously you have no choice, and this is a decision that you're making, but it's not something, that's called chitzayi sarats, you understand? Everyone knows, everyone, everyone has experienced that. You do certain things, you have no choice, but yet, obviously there's no, there's no gun to your head per se, so it is of your own volition, but uh, it's not when you woke up in the morning, that's not what gets you excited. You have no choice, you have to do it. And then there's, that's called chitzani sarats. So there's, a, there's some investment, there's some investment that you're doing, that you're, that you're invested in this activity, but it's not, it's not with your heart and soul. The Lushen, the mush in the Zarkadish, we find the mushal to this. It's like, let's say a person sitting at a meal or something, and there's a dog at the table, like a pet. Or let's say it's not even your pet. It's a, you invited someone uh, for a meal, and they brought their dog. So you couldn't care less about the dog, but it's not nice to not feed the dog. So you take a, a bone or something, and you throw it on your shoulder to feed it to the dog. Obviously, that act of throwing a bone to the dog was baratzim. You did it willingly. No one forced you to do it. But it's not, it's not your previous haratzim. At that moment, when you're throwing the, dog, the, the bone to a dog, could someone say, oh, that's you? No, you were not fully out there. And then you have the, the opposite side of the, of the equation. Let's say you have a person, a moment, a time, where not only is he doing something that he has to, he's doing something that he truly, truly wants to do. Or maybe even more than that, maybe it's the highlight of his entire life. Let's say someone's making a chasen or something, he's marrying off a kid, or, or the chasen himself, or the kala herself. You know, there, there are certain times when, you know, when you see, let's say by chasen and kal or something like that, or, or, or a person that's making a simcha, they're so excited and they're so berotzen. It's such an ace rutzen for them. They're so present and they're so glowing at this moment that they sort of like take up the whole room, right? So you go, you go into a room, right? You go into a wedding hall, whatever it is, and if, let's say you don't know any better, you should be able to recognize like, who the chassan is, who the kala is, even without the gown and everything like that. Just if they're happy, if they're excited, you should be able to tell on their face that, oh, that's the guy or that's the girl. When a person is in a state of real rotsin pnimi, that they're doing something that they truly, truly want to do and they're fully engaged in that, then you know what happens? Then to the extent, then if that person's personality is very, very big, then it like overwhelms everyone else, right? So if you have a guy or a girl who has an extremely larger than life personality and they're doing something that they're fully engaged in, then everyone else in the room is gonna sort of be sort of lost in that, in that presence. That's what happens. Okay, 
So you have these two madrigas. You have something, things that are done berotzen, but again, there's some things that are done with chitzonius arotzen, like throwing the bone to the dog, and then there are things that are done bepnimius arotzen. And when the person that's doing, the, that's, that's the Baal Haratzim, the one that's doing this, if he is or she is a larger-than-life personality, huge charisma, huge energy, then when they're doing something with real Ratzin, then it overwhelms everyone else. You barely notice anyone else. The only person that you see is that guy or that girl. They take over a room, right? There's people like that. So that's the marshal. So too it is with the Rabbanu the Sitra Achra, the other side, the Yitzhara, the subtlety, where does it start from? Before it becomes the big monster, where does, it, where does it start from? It starts from this following philosophical concept, which is that in order for the world to exist, we need the Rabbanu Shalom to want it to exist. But here's the catch-22. If the Rabbanu Shalom really, really wants the world to exist, and he is like Kivyochel, so to speak, like the Chassan and Kala in that room, and they're super excited about what's going on, and they're fully present, then guess what? Then when the Rabbani Shalom is, you know, sort of out there and completely in a state of, of, of Ratzim, because what he's doing, he, he, pure, he truly, truly wants to do, then that itself undermines the ability of the world to exist on its own and to have a sense of self. Just like the person in the crowd, when you have that larger than life personality and their mom is on, then everyone else sort of like, you know, is sort of uh, left in the shadows. So, 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 al achas kama vakama, all the more so, kiviachal, the Rabbanishalom himself, if the Rabbanishalom were to engage in creation in such a way where he's fully excited, kiviachal, and fully, and fully like focused, on every single dandelion and every single zebra and every single moment and every single person, then it undermines the very purpose of creation. The Rabbanu Shalom is creating a world in order for there to be a dandelion, for there to be a zebra, there to be a person. You should have your own ideas and your own place and your own accomplishments. But here's the, the philosophical issue. So if the Rabbanu Shalom, in order for there to be a person, he has to want you to exist. But if he really wants you to exist, then you'll be overwhelmed by his presence when he's paying such a close attention to your life. So says the Sitrach, or says the Sahara, and this is the concept that the Sitrach is coming from, in order for there to be existence itself, and every Rosh Hashanah, the Rabbanu Shalom creates the world. So in order for there to be an existence of the world, obviously the Rabbanu Shalom has to want it, but he can't really want it. It can't be with Tnimi Yisaratzen, it has to be with Chitzani Yisaratzen. The Rabbanu Shalom has to has to create a world with the mentality of like a guy going to work or, or like the person feeding the bone to the dog. He has to do it because otherwise I'm not a god. You know, god, I'm, I'm supposed to create a world. But I can't, but, but says the Sitra Akhra, Al-Karchach, it must be philosophically that the Rabbani can't truly be invested and be fully present and fully focused on every single prat and every single person because otherwise that person wouldn't, would be overwhelmed by the Rabbanu Shalom's presence in their life and they wouldn't be able to function as a person and they wouldn't be a person. So, and if we are people, it means the Rabbanu Shalom certainly wants us to be here, but he can't really, really, really want us to be here. Because of this, sort, and, and, and by the way, this makes total philosophical sense. Philosophically speaking, it makes perfect sense. 
But understand where this simple idea takes you. What this takes you to could become extremely dark places, which is that my existence is Ba'etzim Abidiyavet. It's something that the Rabbani Shalom Kivyachal is not fully engaged in. My existence is by its very definition not something that is bringing deep simcha and tanug and oinik to the Rabbani Shalom, and it can't, because if it did, then the Rabbani would be so excited, and then I'd blow, I'd be obliterated by that presence. And so automatically, this idea means that the very foundation of creation, the very fundamental system upon which reality itself is governed, is a system of the Rabbani holding himself back and, and disengaging. And by disengaging and only allowing himself to be engaged a little bit in a bidyevitic way, in a, a sort of even like an afterthought, then you could have a reality. But where does that take you? Where that takes you is, to, is a number of places. First of all, first of all, it means that the very foundation of your existence is rooted on the Rabbani Shalom not paying so much attention to you and not having so much nachas from you and not allowing himself to have so much nachas from you. That's, where, that's fundamentally where it's coming from. Now what that, what that does is ingrain, it, 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 it folds within the very essence of creation a deep sense of yish and despair because our very reality is kivyochel b'diyavet. You know, it's uh, for a person to, to grow up thinking that their very existence was kivyochel mistake or kivyochel not, not something that their parents were all in on. That's, uh, that, that's crippling. That's crippling. So not only does it create, does it, does it give reality a very, a very deep sense of despair in itself, it also makes reality feel that, that it also makes a person extremely vulnerable to any monster. Because it means I don't have the Rabbanishim cheering me on. And the Rabbanishim is not pushing me on and not compelling me. And he's not investing his infinite energy into me. And he can't. Because if he did, I wouldn't be me. I wouldn't exist as a human being. Which means that the fuel source, my energy source that's allowing me to function in the world, that's keeping me alive, is by its very definition limited and finite and not infinite and not, and not godly. Which means, therefore, I'm limited, I'm finite. And there are things that could overpower me easily. This subtle philosophical, what seems to be a subtle philosophical truth, leads to all the monsters that the Sidrachah, that the Yitzhah throws our way and becomes. But it's all coming from this subtle point. So what's the answer? So what's the answer? And understand, this is the Avoid of Rosh Hashanah. Because in Rosh Hashanah, the Rabbanishim creates the world. And the world that's being created in Rosh Hashanah comes into reality possibly making this subtle mistake. And understand, this, this on some level was the chet of the Yitzhadas. The Yitzhadas Toivirah was a decision to look at reality and to engage in life from a philosophical way and from a place of trying to figure out what makes sense. And what makes sense, this makes sense. This makes sense, and it must be. The Rabbani Shalom cannot be fully invested. Infinite light of the Rabbani Shalom cannot be fueling a finite world. It doesn't work. If the infinite light of God was what's behind the scenes of everything that we engage in, then it must then then, then everything would be infinite, then it's not. So it must be that the Rabbani Shalom was holding back that infinite light and only allowing uh, a Shirayim, an Acharayim, uh, 
a residue, a, 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 an afterthought, well, that means that the world that we're living in is absolutely finite, limited, our kachas are limited, and our very existence is an afterthought. <laughs> well, from there comes all sorts of issues. That's the Eitzadah, Stavirah. Says Stavirah. It makes a lot of sense. But that was a mistake. What's the, what's the truth? The real truth is something that ultimately does not make intellectual sense. But this is the Amuna of Rosh Hashanah. The Amuna of Rosh Hashanah is that despite all the very sound logic that the Sitra Achra, that the Yitzhahara makes, that the Nachash presents, which is how could a finite world be fueled by an infinite presence, by an infinite flow of energy? How could the Rabbani Shalom truly be Baratzim over creation if creation still exists? Our response to the Nachash is, I don't know, but I believe that you're, but I, I don't intellectually know how you're wrong, but my amuna says that that's not true. And this is the amuna of that Pasuk of Anoich Yashem Lekecha. Let's understand. Everyone knows that Rosh Hashanah, as I said, is, a, is, a, is an end of Malchus, right? Tekset Hashem is king. There's a famous teaching from the Vilna Gaon, it's from the Vilna Gaon, and it's quoted from the Bredishur as well. Everyone says this. That there's two words in Hebrew which mean a ruler. There's a Melech and there's a Moishel. What does it mean a Moishel versus a Melech? So a Moishel means someone that's a ruler, but a tyrant, someone that's ruling, someone that's ruling a populace against their will. Shaloi Baratzim. Shaloi Baratzim. What does a melech mean? A melech means someone that's ruling Baratzim. So we tend to think that that means, okay, it means that, that we accept it. As long as we sort of voluntarily accept Hashem as our king, that's called, that means Hashem is a melech. But let me tell you something. Even if a person accepts voluntarily Hashem as being your king, he still might not be the melech in your life. Why? Because it's like, it's like think about it, even with ele- like elections within America, right? So let's say the, the majority of the country votes for a particular candidate and he becomes president or whatever, right? Assume that that happens. So, but it's not the shot, the person's really not a melech. It's not Baratzen, why? Because we only have two options. I, I guess between these two people, I'll go with that guy. That's called cool, that's cool the melech. That's called cool the melech. If, there, if a person is looking, okay, listen, I, I have a few, I have a bunch of religions in front of me. I have to pick one. Okay, you know what? I'll go Judaism. That's not called Baratzen. That's not called Baratzen. Why? Because once you put this limited framework of the options that I have, okay, you know, I'll go with that God. That, that's not called Baratzen. Baratzen means, that, that would be called, that's Chitzonius Baratzen. That's like a person throwing a bone to the dog. Yeah, I guess I want it. No one's holding a gun to it. You did vote. Yeah, I voted. I voted under certain circumstances that I sort of had no choice but to pick one of these options. If you asked me if, if there was a third candidate that was maybe better, I'd pick that guy. There wasn't a third candidate. So I'm now choosing this one. Is that called a real choice? It's not called a real choice. That's called Chitzani Sarat. The inn of Rosh Hashanah is to be Mamluch Hashem, to make Hashem Melech, means that you have to be completely all in on Yiddishkeit, like all in. Not like, I guess, between all my options, I'll choose this one. Ah. Real Ratzin means that there's no choice. See, it's a funny thing, because when I say that there's no choice, usually that means like a tyranny. But it's not, not that there's someone compelling you with a gun to your head, but there's no choice. It's like, 
I, I don't see any other option. Not, not that I'm looking for another option, I just don't see one. Like, I, I, I want this with every fiber of my being. When a person, when you want the Rabbanu with every fiber of your being, then that reveals this deeper truth of the Rabbanu wants you with every fiber of your being. Like, why does the Rabbanu want us to be mamluchem? Why does Hashem want us to accept Him as melech? Again, melech means through and through, 100%, all of our desire, all of our will, not an afterthought, and not like, under these circumstances, I guess this is the best shot I got. No, 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 100%. You know why? Because the Rabbanu Shalom wants us to realize that just as we want Him 100%, He wants us 100%. This is what it means to be a melech. See, um, even a melech, and his relationship, or, or, or Malka for that matter, their relationship to the people is a funny one. On the one hand, the nature of a king, like everyone knows there's a famous statement, uh, it's not from Chazal, but the Jewish people have the statement of Ein Melech Bloyam. That a melech, by its very definition, you're not called a melech if you're ruling, if it's just a family, right? Because then that's not, in order, in order to, have, to be considered a melech, it means that you have to be ruling over people that are different than you, that are not you know, the same last name. Although, if, if it's all the same last name, then that's just a father or mother. To be a melech means that it's, other, it's over people that are not you. Yet, on the other hand, it's well known that the Ramah, for example, writes that there's a very, very deep connection between the melech and the people that he's ruling over. The melech is called the heart of the people. Akedekach, the Ramah writes that the reason why the Torah is so makbid that the melech should keep halacha properly and he should be devoted to Yiddishkeit and so on is because if the melech strays, then automatically the people will stray. Not because they're just like following like, like sheep. But he is their heart. So you have this like funny dynamic where the king on the one hand, the, the, the relationship between king and people and citizens is that automatically the citizens have to be different than the king. But yet at the same time, they have to be deeply bound to each other. This is what it means that Hashem is our melech. Hashem is our melech means that it's true. He's infinite and we're finite. Just like the king has one last name and the people have to have a different last name. So they have to be different, otherwise it's not called a malchus, that's just called a family. But at the same time, the bond between the melech and the people in Pneumius, in the inner dimension of who, the, of who they are, is extremely unified. So on the one hand, when you have a nation like that, you have the melech and the people, on the outside, very, very different. Very different. On the inside, he is their heart. He is their heart. And so if you ask the person, what is the, what's the engine driving you? Who is the engine driving you? Who's the fuel behind your fire? The answer is the king. I, the king, has a different last name. That's Chitzonius. That's on the outside. And he has to have a different last name on the outside. Otherwise, that's not called a Malchus. The whole quality of Malchus is that despite the fact that on the outside, the king looks different than the people, despite that fact, nevertheless, on the inside, they're Mamish one and the same. When we accept Hashem as our king, what we're saying is, despite the fact that on the outside we're human beings and he's God, and on the outside we're limited and finite and he's infinite, which means philosophically speaking, the Sidrachra, the Yetzirah is making a valid point that how could he be the fuel behind your energy if you're so different than the outside? But the answer is he's our Melech. And a Melech means that of course he's different on the outside, but in Pneumius, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Liban Shalom is the heart of the Jewish people. And his infinite energy is fueling everything we do. I, so why don't we 
see ourselves and why don't we express infinite power? When push comes to shove, the Jewish people do have infinite power. We might not be able to see it any particular moment, but when you take a step back and you look at your life and you see all the things that you've gone through and you're still here and the Jewish people are still here, that's infinite. These are simonim of the Rabbanu Shalom being your heart. But this is a secret of what it means, the Rabbanu Shalom being mamlech Hashem, the emunah that is required to accept Hashem as your king is the emunah to believe that the Rabbanu Shalom deeply, deeply wants you and the Rabbanu Shalom's deepest rutzen is what's behind everything. He's behind everything he created. Which means that every single moment and every single daffodil and every zebra and every person is not a b'tiavet, not an afterthought, and not just a hechatimsa, not just there as a means towards another end. Everything is tachlis. This is one of the major principles of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov taught famously, everyone believes in Ashkach HaPratis, right? Divine providence for sure. But the Baal Shem Tov taught that one of the principles of Amuna is that Ashkach HaPratis applies to everything. Not just tzaddikim, and not just even to Jewish people, it applies to every leaf. Famously, the Baal Shem Tov said when you have a, a gust of wind blows, and it knocks a leaf off a tree, right? And the, and the, and it said about Shem, the specific trajectory that the leaf takes to get to the ground, it's Why would that be? Why would the Rabbanu Shalom be so invested in that? The answer is the Rabbanu Shalom is invested in everything. Everything is l'chadchila, everything is exactly what it's supposed to be. It doesn't mean that we don't have an avayda to do. But the situation you find yourself in is l'chadchila. The personnel that you have is l'chadchila. The kaych, the kaychis that you have are lechatchila, and you do something with it. And what's what's fueling, what's compelling you, is malchusay beratzen kiblo alehem, is absolute will, absolute will. This is the secret of that pasuk of anoichi Hashem lekecha, asher tzitzicha merit mitzrayim. What does that pasuk mean? The Rebbeinu says, "Look, here I am." Anoichi Hashem lekecha. That's what anoichi means. It's me. Hi, anoichi Hashem lekecha. I'm Hashem, your God. What do you think would happen if the Rebbeinu says that statement? If you really said that statement, then what would the Yitzhara philosophize? The Yitzhara would say, you know what would happen if Hashem really revealed Himself? There would be no world. And guess what? Hashem said, and we're still here. The Pasuk means that despite the fact that the, that the, that the truth is, the Rebbe Hashem is absolutely fully engaged and present behind everything in reality, that doesn't mean reality can't function. And it doesn't mean reality can't exist. I, how does that work? I don't know, but to Shum Shamana, that's the Amuna. That's the Amuna of Anech Hashem And the proof is, Asher Tzitzicha Meretz Mitzrayim. How do Rabbanu Shalom take us out of Mitzrayim? So, Maishavenu, Makas. But we know the last Makkah, which is really what got us out, was Makas Bechairis. So everyone knows, how did Makas Bechairis happen? So he's saying them in, in the Haggadah. It says in Pasuk, Ani, that I'm the one says to Rabbanu Shalom, it's going to take you out of Mitzrayim. Ani, v'lo shliach, ani, v'lo malach, v'chul. So it's well known from Rabbunin from Shizchah, he said that you know how Makas Bukharis happened? The Rabbanu Shalom, what? He killed the firstborns? He didn't kill the firstborns. What happened was the Rabbanu Shalom came to Mitzrayim and he revealed, And you know, because of that, any other power that held of itself as God automatically was obliterated before the presence of the real God. So all the firstborns of Egypt, representing all their power and strength, was obliterated, was overwhelmed by that presence of Anech Hashem But you know who survived it? The firstborns of the Jewish people. You know why? Because God's presence and His rutzen and His revelation of Anech Hashem is not a conflict with our reality, with our existence. 
It strengthens our reality. It's the fuel behind the Jewish people. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Liban Yisrael. We are the Malchus of the Jewish people. Uh, the Malchus of the Rabbani Shalom. The Rabbani Shalom's existence and his fully, full engaged, revealed presence in the world is a steer to the firstborns of Egypt. It's not a steer to the firstborns of the Jewish people. And the fact that you survive Mitzrayim and you survive in this moment means that you have any idea what you have? Do you know who you are? Do you know what kaychis you have? You know what that means about Yiddishkeit? It means that Yiddishkeit, see, let's understand, that philosophy of the Sitra Achra, you know how it trickles down all the way. It trickles down to what? That when a Jew wakes up in the morning or a Jew thinks that Yiddishkeit's too difficult. That you limit, you limit what you daven for and you limit how high you're able to reach. You know, there's a famous bar from the Ishvitzer. I don't know if it's a famous, for me it's famous. There's a bar from the Ishvitzer. It says in Pasuk that one of the, it's a funny mitzvah. One of the mitzvahs is, like, it says in Pasuk that you're not allowed to plant a tree in the base of Mikdash. In the base of Mikdash, by the Azar, the courtyard, you're not allowed to have any trees. Okay, it's okay. What's the problem with having trees? See, the Ishvitzer said, what does the base of Mikdash mean? Right? Basically, means tefillah. And he says, when you're davening, what the Pasuk is trying to tell you on Avodah Hashem is, when you daven, don't put any ceiling to what you're supposed to be davening for, how high you can reach. A tree means, like, it's a canopy. You, know, as you, you look up and you're blocked by the tree. Lois, don't, don't plant any trees in Beis HaMikdash. So what do you daven for Rosh Hashanah? Everything. And anything. But understand that understand that what is giving you the ability to daven and what's giving you the right to daven is the fact that the Rabbani Shalom is fully invested in your life and what's ultimately fueling your very existence is his light, is his infinite presence. Which means that of course daven for everything. But if you're davening for Kleinikite, even if you're davening for a million things, but the things that you're davening for are tiny and small, you daven for a trillion dollars. That's small. It's small. It's small compared to what you should be davening for, what you could be davening for, and who you are. The very essence of Rosh Hashanah is to come into that place. Let me give you an example. You know, we, everyone knows that the shayfar of Rosh Hashanah is connected with the, uh, it reminds us of Akedah Yitzchak, right? Akedah Yitzchak is a major theme in Rosh Hashanah. So, think of Akedah Yitzchak. What happened? So everyone knows. Obviously, when you think of Akedah Yitzchak, so the sacrifice... Yitzchak, the sacrifice of Avram, it's Gavad Gazach. But, 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 but think of it in this angle. Maybe you never thought of it in, the, in this way. The Rabbani Shon says to Avram Avinu, bring Yitzchak as a carbon. Okay, so yes, technically he never said Shachtem. Okay, we all know what it means, a carbon. Carbon means uh, he sacrifices. And then Avram Avinu does that. And then Hashem, last minute, appears to Atishach Yad Cholanar, Atas Laimuma, don't touch him, Adarabah, he should live. You know what happens in Akedah Yitzchak? The Rabbana Shalom is revealing to us that, that there's such a thing as what Hashem wants, but then it's what Hashem really wants. This whole idea of there being rotsin, but chitzon yisarotzin, versus something that's called pnimi yisarotzin, is mamash Akedah Yitzchak. So chitzon yisarotzin, the first thing that Hashem said was like sort of, I, I have to say this because I, you know, I want to get Akedah Yitzchak going. So I, I, I have to say, make him a carbon. But after the fact, at the end of the story, we see that the Rabbanishim didn't really mean it. I mean, he meant it. 
it's like a person going to work. Like obviously, the Rebbeinu Shalom meant what he said, and he and he wanted to say it. But did he, did he really want to say that? No. So it's interesting. What you see from that is that the concept of chitzonis haratzim, of wanting something, of thinking of the Rebbeinu Shalom wanting something only half baked, that results in death. But when you finally get to the to the oymik of what the Rebbe really wants, that results in life. You see, it's the opposite of what the Yetzirah thinks. The Yetzirah thinks that if the Rebbe were to really want, then what? Then there would be no life. But if the Rebbe only kind of half-baked wants it, then you could have life. It's v'nahapich. When the Rebbe said something that he sort of kind of meant, but not really, that, that statement was, kill Yitzhak. When the Rabbani Shalom finally says what he really means, what he says is, don't touch and let him live. Life, life comes from the Rabbani Shalom really wanting, and not from the Rabbani Shalom not really wanting. The Rabbani Shalom says to Adman Chava, eat from the Eitzachai, not the Eitzadas. The Eitzadas, the way of the Eitzahara, is going to lead to death. He's going to, the Eitzahara is presenting you with an idea that feels like it's going to make you live. But it really is the, it's the path to death. You want to really live? then believe that what's fueling you and what's behind the scenes of your life is infinite, infinite power, infinite, infinite life of the Rabbanu Which means that every time that a Jew feels that Yiddishkeit's too big, Yiddishkeit's too hard, being a tzaddik, being a tzaddik is, is beyond my reach, those are l'shaynis from the Yitzhadah's Tavirah. That's coming from a backwards way of thinking. It's coming from thinking that my very existence must be rooted in some limited expression of God's will. And because it's limited, so I'm limited, and there's certain things I can reach, and things I can't. Rosh Hashanah is about dreaming big. But it's not a dream. That's the oimik of Rosh Hashanah. The amun of Rosh Hashanah is, I don't care about what's going to be after Rosh Hashanah, what's before Rosh Hashanah. You have 48 hours to be a big tzaddik and a big tzaddikist. And you can do it for 48 hours. Ah, you're going to tell me, yeah, it's not real, it's not practical. What real practical? Well, you know who you are. You have any asag of what's behind the scenes in your life. The fact that a person thinks, oh, it's not real, it's not going to last, I've done this before. That's all demyoinus, it's all from the sitrachar, it's all the yetzar, that's death itself. When we doubt for Zechir Lechayim that we should be alive, you want to know if a simon, whether you really believe in life, do you believe in your ability to transform your life to be a big tzaddik and a big tzaddikist like that? That's the question. If you don't believe that you can do such a thing, it means that you've bought into the nachash, you've bought into the snake, and you don't have a moon and a nachash and a lakacha. everything's limited. Why is it that Rav Nachman Breslover is the one that said about himself that I, you know, his Indian is Rosh Hashanah, right? Everyone, Uman, right? Rav Nachman. Well, what Shaykh is Rav Nachman to Rosh Hashanah? What's Rav Nachman all about? Rav Nachman, the whole thing of Rav Nachman is, not to give up. You're absolutely infinite in your kaiches. Don't limit yourself. Don't plant a tree in Beis HaMikdash. Don't limit what you're davening for. Don't limit your aspirations. You go into Rosh Hashanah dreaming big. And demanding of yourself big. Not to demand of yourself to be a little bit better than last year. That's very, very nice. After Rosh Hashanah, then you start worrying about being a little bit better. On Rosh Hashanah, you don't limit yourself. You don't plant trees in the base of Mikdash. It's called Yom Neroyim. I mentioned this before. It's called Days of War. The word Naira, the first place in Chumash that the word Naira is mentioned, is Beis Amikdash. Man Naira Hamakam the Beis Yaakov Avinu called it a place of awesomeness, a place of awe. 
Beis the Beis Hamikdash in space is Rosh Hashanah in time. Just as there's a mitzvah not to plant a tree in Beis Hamikdash in space, don't plant a tree in Beis Hamikdash in time. Rosh Hashanah is a big day, and be big and believe that you could be big. This is why Rosh Hashanah and this entire Tkufa is a day of davening. Davening. Rav Nachman talks about this in a number of places, in particular in Simitas and Lukud Maran, Rav Nachman talks about the paradox of davening. On the one hand, what's davening about? Davening is, Rebbeinah Shloylam, it's all you. And you're sort of giving yourself over to God and saying, like, Amam is nothing. Yet, Rav Nachman writes, Iker achis Your main existence and your main life comes from davening. So davening itself is this paradox of doing something which should result in my nothingness, in my obliteration, and yet results in what? In my life, in my existence. Because davening means malchus. Davening means accepting the Rabbanishim as king. Davening means Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. Davening means Anaycha Shemalakiachah. Davening means Rosh Hashanah. Davening means, like Rabbi Nachman says over here, davening means Lamal Midarech We started with a question. Why is it that Lel Rosh Hashanah, we say Kish, Zeich Ritzitz Mitzrayim? What is Ritzitz Mitzrayim? Anything to do with Rosh Hashanah? The answer is the whole inner Rosh Hashanah is Zeich Ritzitz Mitzrayim. How do I know that there's such a thing that I can be Mamlech Hashem? How, how do I know there's such a thing that the Rabbanishim can be, that the Rabbanishim can be, that the Pneumius Ritzanius Baruch can be fully manifest in my life and I'm not obliterated by that? The proof is Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. That's what happened by Yitzhiz Mitzrayim when we're still standing. Why is it that I said it from the tour? The tour says that, go, that you know, even though there's a mishpat and so on, we're confident the Rebbe is going to do nisim for us. If it's a nace, then why are we confident? The answer is the whole, the whole Rosh Hashanah is a nace. The, the whole the whole is all of creation is a nace. None of this makes sense. How can this make any sense? It doesn't make any sense that the infinite that the infinite being is the is is what's behind the scenes of everything finite. That doesn't make any sense. But the answer is kacha. That's the way it is. So the whole inner of Abriyas Oilam is an ace. And it happens, we're here, so be confident that you're going to survive it too. The whole inner is an ace. This is the Pell of Rosh Hashanah, that it's an ongoing nace, and yet, what, what, in other words, let's put it this way. Why, even though it's ongoing, why is it called an ace? Because the definition of an ace is something that doesn't make any sense. It's illogical. Yet it still, it still goes, it still happens. That's called an ace. When it's illogical, when it's it's beyond reasoning. But this is the secret of Rosh Hashanah. This is the avoid of Rosh Hashanah. No, so halacha l'maisa, like I said, halacha l'maisa, the avoid of Rosh Hashanah, we go into Rosh Hashanah is, you have, to, you have to think big. You have to be big. For those 48 hours, and leading up to those 48 hours, you, you have to prepare yourself. And you have to practice this. For those 48 hours, every single moment of, of, of those 48 hours, you're a big tzaddik and you're a big tzaddikist, and, the, mo- and the, the conversations you have are big, the davening that you have is big. The brachas that you make are big. The, 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 the eating that you do is big. Not big, you understand. Deep, right, whatever. That's what we do on Rosh Hashanah, right? Even the food that we eat, we turn them into tefillahs. Right? Eat a fish and like, eat rotsin. So every, you're, on Rosh Hashanah, you're a little balshemtiv. Or, you know, a, a sorry main or rachel main or walking around, just uplifting the whole universe. That, that's, that's what you are, Rosh Hashanah. I, what does that mean? Uh, I'm not that. Don't plant trees in Beis HaMikdash. Don't plant trees in Beis HaMikdash. You daven for big things. You daven, you, more than that. Not just to daven. Understand that whatever you're davening for is deeper than you think. Again, this is a sugya, it's a big sugya, and I, you know, 
but just for a few minutes to explain. If, if all of this is true, which it is, if all of this is true, that everything that you experience in life is being, is being fueled and enlivened by Pneumius Ritzanius Baruch, then guess what? That means that whatever you're experiencing in life is way, way bigger than your pay grade in terms of understanding it. So we, go through, we come into Davin Rosh Hashanah and we sort of feel bad, like, I want a Davin for Bani Chaim Zayin, I want a Davin for all the things in my life, but yet I'm like, I was told that I'm not supposed to Davin for that. I'm only Davin for Hashem's mouth. The answer is, you can daven for everything you want, but understand that what you're davening for, you don't even know what you're davening for. You're davening that you should have a good parnasa. You know what it means for you to have a good parnasa? Do you know what type of, what type of spiritual universes are being built in order to allow you to have a parnasa? And then daven for a parnasa, but understand what you're davening for. Understand how, how deeply passionate God is about every single detail of your life. If you're just thinking about your parnasa or your health, your shadokim or your children or whatever, everything, you know, the whole list of everything in this world that you want to daven for, if you're thinking of them as only existing on planet Earth, then you can't daven for that stuff in Rosh Hashanah. That's not Hashanah's malchus. The way to daven for that in Rosh Hashanah is to realize that whatever you're experiencing on planet Earth exists in Atsilos, it exists in the world of infinite light, it exists in God. God is, is fully engaged in these things. And guess what? If God's fully engaged in it, it means there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than we could possibly imagine. And that's what you're davening for. And this is the Chiddush of davening. You know, that's why in a certain sense, every time you daven, you sort of have to, you have to sort of ask Mechila for davening. The Gemara says that one of the, there's an Avera that a Jew commits every single day. Every Jew commits this Avera, and that's called Iyun Tefillah. What does Iyun Tefillah mean? So the Rishonim have a discussion about it. But in Ishbitzer, it's taught that Ion Tefillah means real strong davening. That's an Aveir. Aveir? I thought I'm supposed to daven hard for whatever it is I need. Avada you are. But you should know it's also an Aveir. Why? So the Ishbitzer said a mashal. He said, let's say a person, there's a king passing by, whatever it is, uh, a king's passing by the shtetl. And this is the guy's only opportunity to, to ask a certain request of the king. So the problem is that the guy was you know, caught off guard about, you know, the king passing by. He, le- he learned about the last minute and he didn't have time to prepare himself. And he's thinking, the king is mamish right there and I could slip him a note. And I could slip him something to make my request. But the problem is, he doesn't have any nice clean sheet of paper with a nice envelope. All he has is like mamish, uh, like a, a receipt from like gourmet glad or a coal save or something. And that's all he has. <laughs> and a crayon, like a green crayon and a, and a receipt. <laughs> I have no choice. So he scribbles on the receipt with the green crayon, whatever request he is, and he slips that to the king. And the king fulfills the request. But he has to go ask Mechila for asking in such a way. So said the Ishbitzer, we're davening for everything we're davening for. But we don't even know what we're davening for. We have no asaga. So we're davening for, to us, something that's important. And it is important, but we don't even know the half of how important it is. And that, and, 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 and every time you daven, we sort of have to ask Hashem for I'm sorry for, for talking about such a huge topic in such a small way. So I'm diving for my family. I'm diving for, for who knows what. I'm diving for good weather, for a parking spot. You have to ask Mechila from the Rabbani Shalom, I'm sorry for, for talking to you about something so important 
it, it, and I'm not realizing how important it is, so I'm talking about it as if it's something small. Chazal say that tefillah is a dover ha'omi bruma something that stands at the pinnacle of the universe, the height of the universe, and people disgrace it. People don't take it seriously. The simple type is that people don't take davening seriously. Rav Tzadik HaKoyin of said, you know what it means? It means not that people don't take davening seriously. People don't take seriously enough what they're davening for. Whatever you're davening for is in truth something that's standing in the height of the universe. But you don't know it. You think what you're making is just like a request, scribbling something on a... Really, what you're davening for, you don't even know the heaven of what you're davening for. So at least on Rosh Hashanah, you could daven for everything you want, but realize, go in the back of the mind, think, realize that when I am davening for this person to feel better, or I'm davening for a little bit of an opening in my pernas or an opening in Shalom Bayis, whatever it is, realize that that is the tip of the iceberg of what's really happening behind the scenes in the higher world and in God's universe to eventually result in me having better Shalom Bayis or to result in me having a better Parnassah. That is the final, final reverberation of something that started much, much higher. And that's what I'm davening for. Now, I don't know what that is, but at least to know going in that what I'm davening for is something big. And what does that say about you? It means that you have the power to make such requests, that you have the power to, to activate and to, and to engage in what's going on in the higher world. Because the Rebbe is your melech. And you're bigger than you think. So what do you daven for Rosh Hashanah? You daven for everything in Rosh Hashanah, but understand what it is that you're davening for and realize that you don't have any idea. Realize that you have no clue of what you're davening for. We don't understand anything. And that's exactly what Amunah means. That's Anach Hashem Alekecha. Hashem should bless us, each and every one of us, with a Shana Toiv Masuka, with a Gug Eventually Yar, but understand, and, 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 and a year that's full of godless, and depth, and understanding how deep we are, how deep life is, how, how, how invested the Rabbanu Shalom is in us, in every single part of our lives. She was able to feel that. Befrat, Bechlal, Bias, Kaltzadig, Mervi, Meno, Amen.